we want to find the people who want other people to succeed. We want to put them in the same room or in the same accelerator down there in Australia. We want them to be able to rise together and push each other. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Matt Johnston, founder of ILA Global. Matt, thanks for joining. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm really excited to get into this interview today because I really want to understand from you more about your journey, but then also how you are obviously an Australian, which people will hear your accent soon, but you are living in the United States. So I'm keen to, um, you know, talk through about how Australian companies can to move to the US. So I firstly want to start with that. Talk to me about your experience of, of moving to the United States as an Australian and then maybe talk through some of your hurdles. For sure, I will. Kaylee, thank you so much for having me. It's a, always a pleasure to speak with you. I think it's, it's your morning, my afternoon. So um, yeah, always enjoy uh, us having chats. For the journey, um, as, as it stands, I've been here uh, working in the, the States now for 12 years. I came over here um, with my own company. I didn't come here like, uh, you know, with, uh, with employment uh, from anybody else or anything like that. So it's, uh, it's been one hell of a journey. I've, um, I guess, providing a little bit of background, I've owned companies in Australia uh, since I was 18 years of age. I think I started my first business when I was 12 and uh, second business when I was 16 and, uh, and then my first company uh, when I was 18. And so it was vastly different moving from Australia to the United States. Um, I had a startup there that was was not in technology. It was a it was a product based business at the time, and so it was new to me in Australia, uh, and then also, of course, new to me once I got to the states. And there's so many so many things we can talk about. I mean, culturally, the United States is is very similar to Australia. I lived on the the West Coast here in um, Los Angeles in California, and there's a lot of similarities. Like as far as the transition goes, culturally, it's it's pretty easy. It's the same essentially the same language. Of course, there's Aussie nuances that make it uh, a little, little different, but it's essentially the same language. Um, you know, people think the same broadly. I'm, I'm, I'm talking, there's obviously always going to be uh, minute differences between people, but, you know, broadly, like we, we're talking a, a democracy, obviously republic here as opposed to a commonwealth, but it's democracy, it's Western values, it's uh, allies throughout, you know, all the major 20th century conflicts and, and so forth. So, there's a lot of it that's really easy, and then there's a lot of it that's really confronting and tough, I suppose. And depends how much time we want to to dwell on on that. But I mean, you know, first of all, uh, what comes to mind is one of the, the pleasant surprises that that I found most, you know, that like disconcerting is the market here is is so big, the consumer market compared to Australia. I mean, take California by itself; it used to be, or probably still is, the fifth. If it was its own country, it would be the world's fifth largest economy, as opposed to, I think, Australia is 14th, you know, somewhere around there any, anyway. So it's the entire United States, the, the market that you can leverage there is just absolutely massive. And because of that, there's always a conversation or largely, again, except that I'm generalizing, but this is my experience, there's, you know, largely a conversation around abundance. The general attitude is the market is so big, there's plenty for everybody. And you don't have to be cutthroat and, uh, you know, high, like you know, obviously there's still competition. We all want to win and be the top dog. Everyone understands that they're never going to dominate 100% of the market. And in actual fact, if you have one or 2% of the market, it's an absolute uh, economic victory. 
And that was a little disconcerting at first when you had your competitors cheering for you and wanting you to succeed because, you know, they take the view that a rising tide floats all boats and, uh, and they want to see, see you win. And I, I found like that was the first thing. And then, of course, I'm also going back 12 years. So I know things have changed in Australia since then, but from the business that I'd been in, in Australia at the time, that was definitely not my experience. It was tall poppy syndrome. You know, that was alive and well. And, uh, and so, I mean, that was, that was one of the first things. And, and those kind of cultural differences uh, really stood out to me at first. But then, of course, there's, you know, I at the time knew everything about starting companies. I, I put that in quotes, right? Knew everything. But I knew a lot about starting companies in Australia and knew nothing about the journey over here or nothing about help and what was available to me. And, and it was actually a really tough slog, like learning the system, learning to comply, learning the rules. You know, it's not just, it's not easy because it is completely different. I mean, people even struggle with it domestically when they have uh, businesses in Australia, let alone trying a new system and complying over here. So that was also a hurdle. They're, they're the sort of the two things that jump straight out at me anyway. Yes, no, super interesting. Uh, I have the same observation. I think there's so many questions I want to ask you. I want to firstly start with, you mentioned uh, tall poppy syndrome. I was in a meeting yesterday and uh, one of the guys in there was saying, he's coined it short poppy syndrome, which means you don't have to grow too, uh, too tall these days before someone's trying to cut you down here in Australia. So I, I mean, there's so many things that I want to ask because what I'm seeing in the market is we've got really great Australian companies, security companies, tech companies, but they're being overlooked. And the thing is, you said a really good thing before around competitors are like happy to support you. That doesn't happen in Australia at all. So I'm curious, because I mean, what often happens is, and it's sad, uh, people don't quote unquote make it here in Australia. They go to the United States and they make it. Uh, and that's not just in the tech security industry. I'm talking about like actresses and all these people. Why do you think that's the case? Really good question. And why, why is that different? I do think that it's to do perhaps, you know, so I look, look back culturally and I, and I love history. I'm not a, a student of history per se, but I think, you know, when you have a look at where you've come from, you get a better idea of where you're going. You know, I think, I don't know whether it's to do with, with Australia's initial convict heritage, you know, and some of those us versus them, not wanting to, you know, not wanting people to succeed initially. I mean, but there was, you know, entrepreneurship in, in 1700s Australia. I mean, I can, I can point to it with stories about horse races and farms and all sorts of things that were, you know, obviously built. Now we've got a country of 30 million people. But it, it could be that. I mean, what I do know is it is it, you know, again, I go back to the vastness of this market and the vastness of the market is good because there's plenty of room to play in, but you do have to be on your game. Like you've got to know your product market fit. You've got to know who your competitors are. You've got to know who your customers are. You've got to have the channels to get in with them. You know, whereas your competitors will cheer for you, they will not waste time either. That's, you know, one thing that's for sure. Then, you know, people can be very, very shrewd with their time. So I don't think that's a bad thing though. No, nor do I, nor do I, you know, like for me, you know, years ago, it was always, oh, let's have a coffee meeting. Like for me, and, and this is not just because of COVID. I think that still happens here, Matt, to be honest. Does it really? I mean, I, I love it. Well, it's 12 coffees before people want to make a decision. I mean, not all of the time, but it's in a very Australian way. Let's go down to Manly, have a chit chat. We'll then go for a surf. And yeah, it is still very much a mentality like that. I'm sorry. It is. Absolutely. You know, and it's part of me that loves it because, as you know, I'm a, like a really social creature. Love to chat and like like to meet people. But when when you are trying to get something achieved, you know, I'd rather get something achieved 
get a contract signed, and then let's go for 12 coffees while we make sure that what we've promised to deliver you, we're delivering. You know, that's sort of a, a better use of time. So, and I've had to be shrewd about it here in Los Angeles too, because, you know, I live in the southern part and to drive to the northern part, as you know, I, I love motorcycles. So for the most part, I will ride my bike and it's still going to take me without traffic an hour to get to the northern part of Los Angeles. So you add a car to that mix and peak hour, you're looking at two and a half, three hours to travel anywhere. And you really only want to travel here between 10 and two because peak hours, you know, all sorts of other times. COVID has done the world a little blessing in normalizing, you know, Google Meet, Zoom, video chat, FaceTime. It's a really, really great way to get things done. And, and as again, as I say, and, and you know, like I'm, I'm a social creature, but yeah, 100%. You can't have coffees all day or you'll never get anything done, especially when you are trying to find that first customer. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, first customer, whether it be domestic, international, or even if it's not the first customer, you're still scaling that business and working really hard on it. You got to talk with a lot of people. You're raising money. You can't just talk with one person in a day. You got to be knocking on that door, you know, time and time and time again. You're going to get hundreds of no's before you get a yes. So you've got to maximize that time. Yeah, I understand that. And I mean, it's not like me saying like, I'm definitely a social creature as well. It's just more so that you'd rather sort of be told like no straight away and then move on rather than some like stringing you along or something like that. Uh, it does happen in Australia. And so, okay, you make really great points. Uh, you know, I'm definitely on board with what you're saying. The other thing then as well is some of the other things that I'm finding in terms of people I'm speaking to, whether they're VCs in Australia or, you know, where you are or just local startups. We're not really backing our own people here. So just say if you think of it as a, um, a football team or basketball team, whatever analogy you want to use, like they back each other. We're not doing that here. We're like completely almost trying to destroy other people's games. And then what happens is people either they either flee to the US and they make it there, which is usually a common story, or they give up. So we're actually then generating a market of people that we can't drive innovation. We talk about sovereignty here in Australia and innovation and growing our people and backing them. But I know, I think that's lip service. I don't think that that's genuine at all. I really don't. Such a shame to hear, you know, because it is so important. And like I sort of referenced in the first instance, because of the way Australia, you know, came to be as a, as a modern country, it's full of innovators. It's full of entrepreneurs. Always has been. I know. And I think that that's the, that's the challenge that we're facing here. And I've spoken to a number of people that are startups and people in this space that share the same opinion as me because it's it's worrying. And I think that I, I was explaining to someone yesterday, like when you go out on your own, it's like all these people that say they're going to back you and they don't. But then what happens is you hit like different levels of your entrepreneurial journey where people are like, oh, actually you're a bit more valuable to me now. Oh, actually I can get something from you now. And so it will change. But in the early stages, it's all well and good to say, oh, pat on the back, Matt. Yeah, great job. And then they don't actually really help you. Uh, I've seen this time and time again. People have approached me, come forward. Uh, in the Australian market and say, oh, how, did you find this initially when you went out on your, on your own? I mean, I've been doing this for five years now, so I've seen the game uh, and how it changes. And I think that unfortunately, a lot of people don't last five years, right? They give up between 12, 18 months because it's hard. But what makes it inherently harder, in my opinion, is we're not backing our own people. We're not even a big country. Why is it that we're not doing it though? Like I really don't understand and I'm always going to support people but people here that just don't like it, when you start to do things a little bit outside the lines, straight away people will cut you down. And then we don't actually have any great innovation here because people, do, they're too scared to do it. Too scared to do it. And it's also really comfortable, you know, and, and I think this is a, a, a blessing about Australia, you know, when I say this, but 
uh, four weeks paid annual leave to start with, you know, here in the States. Sometimes you can start jobs, many jobs. When you're working hourly, you don't even get paid annual leave. You know, the salary jobs start, I think, with two weeks here. Obviously, there's great social support networks in Australia if you fall on hard times. I mean, it's easy It's easy not to innovate, right? You could, it's very comfortable just to go, oh, well, KB's innovated, so you know what, I'm going to get a job with her because it's, uh, you know, it's safe, it's easy, it's, um, you know, I get paid well and I still love what I do. So, you know, I think you're right. Like, and when we say support, you know, there's so much support you can give to entrepreneurs. And I guess, you know, really at the beginning of this, we didn't even do, you obviously introduced me from ILA Global, but, uh, you know, I didn't really explain what that was, uh, you know, to any of the listeners out there insofar as like we work with venture capital companies, we find great startups to invest in and we work with uh, established businesses to exit them when they're ready to retire or be absorbed or just, you know, just looking for a, basically a liquidity event in their company. Going back to that story, there's levels of support. There's obviously, you know, sometimes there's governmental support and but there's support in the ecosystem as well. And you, you look at uh, like entrepreneurial support, you can point to accelerators, you can point to venture capital funds, all those type of things. You know, again, I'm going to say this without having worked with VC in Australia in a number of years, like I did about five years ago, but I haven't really had my finger on the pulse there, you know, since it's a small pie. And I think like what's really necessary to drive Australian innovation is having great connections with capital pools and go-to-market resources in the United States, Europe, Asia, wherever that is, you know, wherever the, wherever the market is, I think that that's going to go a long way to, to, to garnering the support. And the way that I always feel about it is we can't, and I've always been like this since I was a kid, we can't sit around waiting for the government to do something for us, you know, be it a, a new Austrade program or a this or a that or a whatever it is. Like if you want it, you've got to, you know, seize the day, like carpe diem. We've got to do it ourselves. We've got to get a collective of, of, of us and people who want to succeed together and people who want to support the person next to them, knowing that when you do support somebody, and you do it from an altruistic perspective, I'd like to think it comes back to you tenfold in some way. So even if you're not the one whose company goes on to become a unicorn, it's your friend who you helped who did. And guess what? As I say, rising tide floats all boats. Sometimes you can come along for the ride with that. So the impetus is with us to really, if we want to make a difference in Australia and for entrepreneurs, we've got to get together. We can't wait. No one, no one's coming for us. No one's coming to our rescue. You know, we've got to do it for ourselves. We've got to band together. Uh, we've got to leverage connections that, that, you know, and I'm probably the, the least of them. There's plenty of people who you would know in the ecosystem have probably got better connections here in the States than I have. But we have to use those. We have to, to look at Australia as where we're going to develop, but not deploy. You know, I mean, I mean, Australia's an, an awesome test market, but I mean, like as an ultimate goal, even if the headquarters remains in Australia, like how are we going to tap in to those overseas markets with just a much larger population base and therefore much larger, you know, economic opportunities. No, I love that. I absolutely love what you're saying. So uh, I'm a big believer of uh, pull the bull by its horns. I'm not sitting around waiting for no one or else uh, I'll be waiting around till I was in the ground. Indeed. Yes, for sure. You, may, you raise an interesting point, Matt. Tap into the US market. Now, speaking to a lot of people that I speak to uh, and, and clients of mine, they're like, oh, I just want to you know, let's just grow in the, in the US market, you know, which is something that a lot of Australians look to, to be like, that's the next level up. That's the next step up. Uh, Americans are more uh, willing to take a risk opposed to Australians. Uh, it's a very common knowledge. 
So I want to understand from you, like what advice do you have? So there's someone listening that's like, okay, I want to get into the US market. It's convoluted. There's a lot of rigmarole that goes on. What's some of your advice, considering you're already working with a lot of companies to do that? So the first thing, and, and this, this sounds elementary because you can kind of, you know, read through any startup playbook and it's like, yeah, I know that, you know, I, I know these things, but there's a difference between knowing them and, and truly knowing them like at a, at a core level. And, you know, what that is, and to use the, the term, the, the cliche, is like product market fit. Who are your test customers? And like, let's just talk about Australia. Like, who have you, who have you tested on in Australia? Proof of concept, you know, minimum viable product, whatever the stage is of what you are trying to sell. Like, where is your case study? What has it done? Show me the numbers. You know, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, the dollar signs, but, but show me the use case. Like, be really clear about this particular cybersecurity product or this particular product in general has saved company X. Uh, Y million dollars per year by allowing them to do X, Y, Z or stopping this many attacks or, you know, sniffing this particular packet or whatever the product is, be really clear about not just what it does, but what it saved, you know, and, and who, and who's used it as well. And then the other thing that I see all the time, like as an advisor to, to startups and advisors to, and, uh, and as an advisor to, um, accelerators as well and, and, you know, sitting on investment panels is the total addressable market. You know, like I, I see people with these, these lofty ideas about, well, my market is everybody because everybody can use this. And sure, that, that might be true in a certain sense, you know, 8 billion people around the globe. But realistically, the market you're going to sell to is going to be very narrow and very deep. So, you know, very vertical, in other words, like here is my niche. I know that my proof of concept has worked really well in this particular segment. Like I know, I, I even hate using the term segment because it's just, I like, I want it to be narrow. I want it to be a sliver, like a really valuable sliver where your return, where the return on investment for the customer is absolutely massive. Like it saved them millions and millions of dollars, whatever the metric is that, that wants to be used. And, you know, and be really clear about that. And your market isn't everybody. And, and even if it was everybody, you're going to go broke trying to market to everybody. Cybersecurity is something that everybody can use because everyone's got a computer or an iPhone or, or whatever. But if we went after cybersecurity, solving a particular problem for veterinary surgeons to do with privacy and medical records around dogs, you know, or whatever it is. But if, if you go after something that is really narrow and really deep and concentrate on that and prove it out and, you know, get the proof of concept, get the first customers. And then when you are coming over here, don't try and do everything yourself, which is what I did. And this is uh, like how to fall flat on your face and, and fail hard. Don't try and do everything yourself, run things in both countries. Like find a partner here. Like I say, the, the pie is big. And, you know, for anyone who's listening, I can always help them find somebody or give them advice or, or whatever else that they reach out. But it's finding that right partner. It's not trying to do it all on your own. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm not an Australian business person anymore. I'm going to be an American business person, which is again, what I did. And like I said, talk about fall, you know, fail hard and flat on your face. Like it took me years to actually understand what I was doing here. And, uh, you know, so that would be my advice is be really, really clear about who your customer is, product market fit and your total addressable market. Don't worry about everyone on the planet. You know, if it's a, a cybersecurity product for veterinary surgeons, just go for the vets. Don't even look sideways into pet stores or 
doctor's surgeries, maybe in a couple of years after we've achieved all we need to achieve with veterinary surgery, then we can start looking left and right. Where else can we apply this, uh, you know, technology, this cybersecurity technology, but just stick to your knitting, as we'd, we'd say, be true to yourself about where it is your product fits and don't get distracted. Even if it looks like there's a big opportunity, just take what's in front of you and work really hard and just make that niche deeper and deeper and deeper rather than wider. It's going to cost you a lot less. You'll have more chance of success and you'll very, very quickly amongst that target market get a real name for yourself as somebody who is solving problems and moving and shaking and, and do it with a partner. You know, Find someone over here who can sell into where you want to sell or whatever that looks like. There's many, many things to do with that, but don't try and do all the heavy lifting in two countries yourself, especially if you're a you know, startup and you're bootstrapping. Yeah, great advice. Um, I love that. So, okay, just say someone's like, all right, turtle Jessica my market. I've got a very uh, narrow way of looking at it. I've got a product market fit. I'm ready to go. It all checks out. What happens next? What can people do? You look at who your customer is. Who is it here who could help you reach those people? You know, is there something you've seen in the media where there's a similar problem here in that similar vertical that needs to be solved? And is there a person you can reach out to? You know, you could do that straight away. You know, obviously we're not talking about logistics of how do I set up a legal entity here or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. We're just talking about like, like how do I make this work? And that's what it would be. It'd be like finding those right partners or someone who knows how to navigate, you know, here in the States, like what it is that you're trying to do. And again, we also haven't spoken about, do you need money? Do you not need money? But especially if you need money, if you can find that right partner to distribute what you've got after you've shown how successful it's been in a vertical in Australia, um, I think that that is a great way to go because then you're not trying to chase money and chase customers. You know, sure, you, you might lose a larger percentage to your channel partner, but it, it's well and truly worth it. I mean, channel partners make the world go around. So again, that would be my next step would be, would be try to find like who can penetrate that market for me after I'm really clear about what that market is. Okay. So there's a couple of questions. So just so hypothetically, there's a partner. So in terms of strategy or tactic, uh, so if I'm a security company, I found the right partner, they're happy to distribute my product. Then after a while, is it then worthwhile that company here in Australia sort of landing and expanding in the US? They're like, okay, got a partner, it seems to be working. I'm now going to take a bigger step to actually having my own entity there. Is that, is that sort of what you're saying? It could be. And it may be that you don't, like maybe that you keep the domestic domicile in Australia. Obviously, you can set up a company here, no problems. But if you were going to use someone to do the selling for you for a few years, that'd obviously, you know, be a, be a contract under contract for a while, but you could eventually start running the sales yourself. You know, there's so many ways that you could do a deal. You could do the sales yourself here after a certain period of time, depending on who the company was and how big you ended up being for them. That gives you more leverage to reduce what you're paying them to sell. Obviously, that's a way of looking at it as well. If they weren't getting the results. Uh, but you know that the market's right, then you can try another channel partner or sales partner or, you know, whatever it is that is needed. Uh, because of course, then you're looking at local support and things like that as well. Yeah. So it, it's quite possible. Like you could then transition and, and do it yourself over here, but you could also just come here three or four times a year. If you don't want to move overseas, enjoy it and come to the States for a, a business, you know, slash uh, vacation twice, four times a year, oversee your operations and go back to uh, Australia. Or in turn, you could come here and you could definitely launch what it is that you're doing. And also too, the thing that I obviously I haven't mentioned is it would depend on the metrics a lot too. It may make total commercial sense 
to, to say, okay, we've hit this particular level now and we're on our way to being a unicorn and, uh, you know, we definitely need headquarters here or we're trying to do another suite of products or a feature to the product we've got or, you know, we need to develop something more. So we need capital. And you might be seen, you know, after a period of time, the better way to get the capital is to come to the States and be domestically domiciled in the US and then look for a venture capital firm or or whatever particular instrument you're going to use to to raise money. That could be part of the equation too. So it may make total sense to move here. There really is no no right answer. It's just like, it's what suits the founders. It's what suits uh, the business itself, what they're trying to achieve, how quickly it's grown what's required in the way of liquidity instruments, uh, money, whatever. Yeah, so it's quite possible. You could do any of the above. It's a choose-your-own-adventure. So in the US market, if you're selling through a partner, and I'll, I'll give an example, in the Australian market, I literally had someone this week say, hey, KB, there's this product. They're trying to do some market research on it. They're not based in Australia. They have no beats on the ground in Australia. And I said, look, if I'm really honest with you, if you don't have someone here locally, it's going to be a tough sell. So, and like, no one cares, right? Like, it's like, we've got thousands of other companies that are here. They're showing up if they're working with their channel partners to actually get their product in front of a customer. So if you're based overseas somewhere, it's a very hard sell. Is that the same for the US that you're talking about leveraging a partner? Because it's all well and good to say, all right, I've got a partner, um, but then uh, I don't see these people because they're based in Australia. And, you know, when I'm awake, they're asleep. Uh, and I forget about them. Is that the same, or are you saying that U.S. partners are more inclined to sell Australian-based, uh, you know, uh, software technology or anything like that? Couldn't say they're more inclined to. I know that the, you know, like the outside sales industry here is the force. Like people in that industry get paid well, and they're they're hungry, and they they want to actually, uh, you know, generate sales. Now that having been said. There's so many different levers to pull. For example, if you've done some sort of deal and the, the sales company and the sales rep, the channel partner, sales rep doesn't get compensated well for it, well, they're not going to push you forward. But where you want to be, and, and I say this with all products, is you want to be that product that there's nothing else out there that's like it. Everybody wants it. And not to say that it will sell itself, but that makes it easier. But I also do agree with you 100% is like you do need customer service here. Got to have great customer service and support. The other thing that I've known companies to do is when they have salespeople here now, now eventually they do train somebody to do the activations and the installs and everything. So this is not software as a service, but anything that needs customization, everything's going to the cloud. So it's becoming less and less, but anything that was server-based, you know, I've known Australians who'll come out here and fly out here just for the install because the customer's big enough and it's, you know, multi-year contract and it's well and truly worth it. And then you get the principal or the founder coming out because he's the subject matter expert as well to sort of make sure that everyone's happy and everything's flowing well. So that's definitely an opportunity. I think that the organizations here can probably handle it. And what you don't want to do though is place your product with a a sales organization or a ref or whoever where they've got competitive products like similar products that's just like one of many. You want them to be selling to your target customer, but you have been having the product that's unique, like it's something that solves a, a problem that no one else is solving, you know, so you don't want to go with somebody who's already got a, uh, you know, a particular piece of cybersecurity software that is used, um, you know, that is similar to something that's already been used in that, in that area. Yeah, I think, I hear, I hear your point. I think the challenge with that, so there's, you know, there's so many products out there, they're all going to be somewhat similar. Um, and if they're super unique, the market just won't get it. They're not ready for it. So I think that's a, that's a hard one. Um, I think it's going to be specific to use cases. Uh, 
some companies, they only should be sold in smaller organizations like SMB market. They're not for enterprise. Some are just enterprise. So I think that uh, I do get your point. I think that that's the challenge though in the space. When you're doing something that is unique that no one else has done, no one gets it. And then no one buys it then because they don't understand it. Yeah, this is true. You're right, actually. Um, so that that is a challenge. But I think that I'm just saying from experience of international players wanting to try to move into the Australian market, not as easy as people think. Just because, oh, we found a partner, we can't just automatically, they're not going to resell it all the time. They're probably reselling the people they've got a relationship with, that they're seeing, that are showing up in their offices, they're having those 12 coffees with, then going surfing at Manly Beach or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. This commonality between what you're saying there in the US as well. So I think that these are really key points to be able to understand. Just because you find a partner in the United States doesn't mean they're going to solve all your problems. No. I mean, it's, it's universal, isn't it? You know, you find a, a like a technical co-founder and it's either going to be a complete success or a complete disaster or somewhere in the middle. It's a matter of trying, measuring, you know, just, just measuring what you're trying to achieve and then move the... Uh, the game along, like you, you just got to be able to, to manage that based on the measurements that, you know, whatever the metrics are that you're, that you're trying to use. Is it working with my partner? Is it not? You know, and, and again, and I, this comes down to a, an interesting point as well. It's not necessarily, it's universal, but, you know, never rely on your feelings. Always, always have a way to measure something because our feelings as human beings are usually incorrect. How rude are those feelings making decisions for us? I mean, your gut feeling can be right sometimes. So what I want to ask you now, Matt, is how can we sort of bridge further alignment between Australia uh, and the companies that are being originated here to take them to the United States? Because ultimately, we want to hear these success stories. We want to say it's an Aussie-backed startup and now they're the biggest dog in the United States. We want to hear those stories. We don't hear enough of them. There's like maybe Atlassian and that's probably it. Atlassian, Canva. There's sort of, there's some really, really big success stories. And I don't know, but, you know, I don't think we hear about the ones who are just making it or have been successful, but aren't huge unicorns per se. What can we do here to sort of like rally up with people in Australia and also people like yourself to, to get these companies overseas? Well, I think it's, it starts with the drive and it starts with the network. It's, it's getting, is it an organization? I mean, there's a ton of organizations like, you know, Australians in Los Angeles and Australians here and Australians there. It's changing mindsets. It's getting people together who have that commonality of mindset. You know, we've touched on tall poppy syndrome, short poppy syndrome, which I think is hilarious. All those kind of factors that make it difficult sometimes for, for operators in Australia. And we want to find the people who want other people to succeed. We want to put them in the same room or in the same accelerator down there in Australia. We want them to be able to rise together and push each other. We want to be able to create connections with players here in the States, you know, be it uh, other businesses, be it uh, consultants, be it whoever can help you achieve the goals and get to where you want to be. You know, is that funding? Is that just, you, you don't need funding. You've got, you've already got the software developed. You just need to sell it in. So it's like, it's looking at like, what do I need? Where do I need support? Who do I need to support me? And am I surrounding myself with people who are going to pull for my success? Look at co-working spaces, look at uh, accelerator programs, like, are they really pulling for my success or, or, you know, are we trying to be kept small and domestically domicile? You know, like that's just as a founder, that's what I'd be doing is having a real hard look saying, where are the people who want me to be successful overseas? I mean, you're one of them, you know, and you know, a ton of people there in, in Australia and have a you know really broad listening base and a great client base as well. Like 
I know your positivity and sort of the things that, you know, you and I share very similar values and beliefs and the things that you believe in. It's surrounding yourself with people like you. It's, it's leveraging the assets and resources that you as Carissa Breen and, and KBI uh, Media, you know, developed over the last five years. It's surrounding yourself with people who have got the same goals, even though it, it could be slightly different businesses. It doesn't have to all be, you know, in the one pot together. And to me also, it sounds like ridiculous, especially being 19, 1980s and 90s Australia, you know, it's being altruistic. It's, it's, it is taking care of the person beside you as well as yourself. You know, here's another thing that, that I learned, and I learned this at a young age, sales and everything, but never be afraid to ask. So I've met people and, and you know, like I'm essentially a nobody and I've met people as like, oh, you know, and we've had great conversations and we've become really connected and they've been founders and they're like, oh, I didn't want to ask you because never be afraid of the ask, like me or anybody else. Like there's definitely been times here uh, when I was sort of starting out 10 years ago that I was afraid of the ask too, because I didn't want people to, you know, what's he going to think of me? Is he going to judge me? Is he going to say no? Like, you know, sales is good training to, to be good with the no, because no just means no. It doesn't mean anything about you or your product or anything else. It just means that time's not right for whatever you're asking for. But it's never be afraid to ask. Like people listening, you know, they have a question or they want to move overseas or like, you know, they should ask you, they should ask me, they should ask whoever is in their circle who can really, who shares that same belief that they will succeed and surround yourself with the right people and you will succeed. Don't be afraid of the ask. The worst you can get is a no. Human beings are wired that they love to help each other. You know, largely, of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but you know, largely that's, that's what it is to be to be human, right? It's all about community. That's sort of what consciousness and communication gives us is we're not siloed running around on instincts, although some of us are, but you know, largely that's, that's the huge difference. So get the people around you and don't be afraid to ask the people who know the answers or who don't have the answers, but say, you know what? I like, I'm, I'll always do like, I don't know the answer to that, but I know someone who might, or I'll find out for you. You know, it's not being stuck in, in not asking or, you know, stuck in your own world. It's like get out there and, and really create something with other people around you, even if they're not in your organization. Yeah, so true. And I guess it sort of goes back to what you were saying earlier, like just don't wait around. I think a lot of people, Australians are very reserved. They wait around. And I always say to people like, what do you think's going to happen? Someone's going to come down from the sky and they're going to award you with something doesn't happen. You've got to go after it. No one cares enough. No one's thinking about you. Everyone's tied up with their own personal life, their own kids, their own business. So you got to go out and you got to hunt for it. And I think that one of the key things that you sort of said is your network. And that's something I always push to people. Always be talking to people, helping people. I will go out of my way to help people. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I feel like my own call center in my own way sometimes. And I don't mind it. I genuinely, I like it. Uh, and because I know equally people would go out of their way to help me as well. So I think that um, you are right. We are trying to generate the, the the right type of camaraderie here in Australia to know that, like you said, we can ask questions, we can find out someone in our network that may know the answer. And there's usually one degree of separation. Always, There's always someone that, that we know that probably then knows someone that we're trying to get to or try and get an answer from. So I think it's just, yeah, building up that network and that's incredibly key in to, to succeed in a lot of these things that we've spoken about today. But if you sort of had to, uh, I guess, summarize what we've spoken about uh, in, in three key points that maybe people have listened to this episode, they're, they're sitting back and they're reflecting on, okay, great points that Matt's raised. What are something that comes to mind that people can sort of take away in terms of if they're contemplating moving to the United States? Right. 
Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind and they're contemplating moving here or anywhere else, but the world is a big place, you know, and, and essentially as, as far as I know, anyway, we only get one life, you know? So with that one life, go in the adventure that you want to go on, you know, don't think about the money, think about what it is that you love, think about what it is that lights you up. But first of all, just like follow your passion, follow your dreams. If your company and money is a vehicle to get you there, great. Sometimes you got to, you got to just do that. You just got to work a job, you know, but, um, but it really is knowing what your passion is and being willing just to go after it. Like you said, you know, if you wait around, you'll be dead. Like they'll be planting you in the ground and it's, and I mentioned too, no one's coming for you. You know, no one's coming to save you. Superman doesn't exist. Like if you've got a dream, be it technology or a startup or whatever else, or if it's acting or any sort of entrepreneurship or even if it's philanthropy or whatever it is, doesn't matter. Just go for that passion is the first thing. I think the second thing as well that, you know, we touched on right here at the end is partners. Don't be afraid to ask. And of course there are, there are bad actors throughout the world and it's a shame, but, you know, keep your own personal vibration high, surround yourself with great human beings. My, um, my partner and I, she and I always talk about like, you know, who are the five people we want to surround ourselves with? Like choose five great people who you want to be seeing most regularly, who are going to raise you and make you be your best. You know, if you've got an entrepreneurial dream, you might have a childhood friend or whoever that person is, but if they're going to sit around in their pajamas all day on the couch and do something that's not productive, you can still love that person, but they're not one of your top five. Because they are just, you're just going to be caught in that treadmill and that cycle. So, you know, always try and elevate and put yourself uh, in the firing line of, of people who have achieved things that you would like to achieve. I think that's number two. Uh, that and just don't be afraid of the ask, you know, like ask people for things, even those people that I just mentioned, like the, the top five or, or whoever else. Reach out to people. All you're going to get is a no. You know, there's no, no two ways about it. And then, I think finally, to summarize, again, this is not specific to the States, but, but really know your market and, and know, know your product market fit. Like there's nothing that counts more than that to me at any rate, you know, and don't overcomplicate things either. That's a, another a great piece of advice, but no matter where you are, if you've got a, if you've got a product, you're an entrepreneur, you've got something you want to sell, you just know who that customer is. There was no venture money when I started, you know, back in the, started business back in the nineties. And so we, what we would do is find a customer, ask them what problem they needed to be solved. This may not, you know, this had nothing to do necessarily with technology, just anything. And then you go out and you solve the problem for them. You say, well, you, first of all, you tell them, yeah, we can handle that. And you got no idea how to handle it. But you see, so you go out, you solve their problem, you come back to them and say, this is the solution and this is how much it'll cost. I mean, I'm a you know, big believer in that too. Like don't build things hoping that they will come find out what they really want. And that's, that's sort of the, my message there behind the product market fit, be it in Australia or the States. And point four is, you know, if you think the US is your market, is just look at all your options. Like it may not be setting up your own company here. It is a hard, it is a hard slog. I mean, obviously my friends and family in Australia uh, immensely. I miss the Australian bush, you know, it's being out in the uh, Western New South Wales is always really, really dear to me. And, and that stuff's not here. Here has got great things as well, but it's not that. So figure out if, you know, if that move is really what you want to do because there are sacrifices. It's not all fun and games. Or you can you know, have a few-year plan uh, and then just go back. But, but the, the message is, is you know, if, you, if you want to make it in the States, 
think about how you want to go about that. And again, that network, you know, surround yourself with, with five amazing people uh, that sort of, you know, raise who you are. Ask them what they would do. Get, seek people's opinions. Don't try and figure it all out yourself because the best creations, you know, come through consultation and collaboration and communication. Wonderful. Well, I think those are excellent points that you raise and I think that they are very key and tangible insights that people can take away today. So really appreciate you, Matt, for coming on the show, uh, spending the time to chat with me and sharing some of your knowledge. KB, you're so welcome. It's always fun. Thank you so much for having me on and anytime. Happy to add value where I can. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.